X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, July 1st. Today, back in the day, July 1st, 1776, the first vote was cast on the Declaration of Independence for Britain's North American colonies. That Declaration of Independence laid out several principles, that we are created equal, that we have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure those rights, governments are instituted, and that those governments derive their just powers from the consent of the government. A nation built on the idea, not that everyone is below a king, but that people come together to invest power to protect their lives, their freedoms, and their ability to pursue happiness. And today, back in the day, July 1st, 1971, the 26th Amendment, which lowers the voting age from 21 to 18, was ratified and became a part of the United States Constitution. And speaking of younger voters, according to Pew Research Center, in 2018, the vectors intersected. Generation Z, Millennials, and Generation X accounted for a majority of votes cast, outvoting boomers and older generations for the very first time. Today on The Local, we'll start with your quick six. Barb Seaman from X-Ray and partner station KXRW back with an in-depth look at systemic change. And Emily Gilliland interviews Deborah Porter, executive director of Pride Northwest, and Manamalo Ala Lima, ward president of Pride Northwest. First up, it is today's quick six local rundown. A story we've been following for years now. Portland leaders have announced that they are pulling their support from ODOT's I-5 freeway expansion project in the Rose Quarter. This is something we've been talking about for a long time. The highway builders have been pushing for it for a long time. On Tuesday morning, Albina Vision Trust told Oregon's Department of Transportation, that's ODOT, it would no longer take part in planning for the project. Albina Vision Trust is an organization dedicated to rebuilding the Albina area. Albina area is a historically black neighborhood that was devastated by the original construction of I-5 in the 1960s. AVT leaders had hoped to work with ODOT, hoping to stitch the neighborhood back together, but they found ODOT to be an unwilling partner. ODOT's $800 million Rose Quarter Improvement Project centers around a plan to add two lanes to a 1.7-mile stretch of I-5 in the Rose Quarter. It's gotten a lot of pushback from transportation advocates for people who care about communities of color in inner Portland and North Portland. And also on Tuesday, City Commissioner Chloe Udaley withdrew her support for the project. Udaley oversees the Portland Bureau of Transportation, that's PBOT, and here's Chloe Udaley's quote, ODOT did not seem to grasp the concept of restorative justice, end quote. She also said that the local Portland Steering Committee, which she was a part of, was not given any real power over the project's parameters. And here's her other quote, I do not support the Rose Quarter I-5 corridor project, and I urge the state to prioritize safety, climate change, and racial justice in all future transportation investments. And then later yesterday, Udaley was joined by both Mayor Ted Wheeler and Multnomah County Commissioner Jessica Vega-Peterson in withdrawing their support for the project. And I can promise that we will continue to follow this story. Rose City Justice has announced an end to nightly marches. Rose City Justice had organized nightly marches, attracting thousands of participants, including Damian Lillard and Joanne Hardesty. We had X-ray shared that they had a leadership change last week. And now, after criticisms of leadership and some internal struggles and abruptly canceling marches, they announced Tuesday night they are splitting off. There will now be two arms, two movements, they call them, one to organize weekly demonstrations and the other to host monthly fundraisers. At about the same time Tuesday night on a Zoom meeting with Portland Forward, Representative Janelle Bynum announced that police accountability hearings will start next week in the Oregon legislature. Topics will include how and where to conduct investigations of officers involved in deadly force. And the legislature announced that lawmakers who are going to be on the police use of force panel 
Senator James Manning and Representative Janelle Bynum will be the leaders of the respective chambers on that committee. The committee will also include Representatives Rick Lewis of Silverton and Ron Noble of McMinnville, both who are Republicans and both of whom are retired police chiefs. Other members for people following at home, Senators Lou Frederick, Democrat of Portland Bill Hansel of Athena, Dallas Hurd of Roseburg, Floyd Prezansk of Eugene, Kathleen Taylor of Milwaukee, Kim Thatcher of Kaiser, Alyssa Kenny Geyer, and Akasha Lawrence Spence, both of Portland. The committee is charged to examine policies that improve transparency in investigations and police protocols, to look at the use of force statute, to determine the most appropriate policy for independent review of deadly force by police officers, examine any other policies that increase transparency in policing and reform the use of force by police officers. Here's your daily dose of coronavirus data. Oregon Governor Kate Brown extended the state of emergency in Oregon by 60 days. She warned the state is at a crossroads, and here's a quote, what happens next is up to all of us. This second extension of the state of emergency will last until September 4th. And happy July, everybody. The start of July now brings the start of Oregon's statewide requirement to wear face masks while in indoor public spaces. Governor Brown also said, and here's quoting, Modeling from the Oregon Health Authority shows that if we don't take further action to reduce the spread of the disease, our hospitals could be overwhelmed by new COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations within weeks. Governor Brown acknowledged on Saturday that bars, restaurants, and other businesses might be forced to shut down again. Most of Oregon's cases are still largely in the metro area, but about 15 percent of the total cases over the past five days have been reported in Umatilla County, mostly attributed to an outbreak at a food processing plant near Hermiston. And the Oregon Health Authority reported three new deaths, bringing our state's total to 207 confirmed deaths. And according to the latest available data, Washington has 32,824 confirmed cases and 1,332 known deaths. Following the money, the Portland Police Bureau has spent $45,000 in June on riot control agents, including rubber ball blast grenades that deploy tear gas. Purchases were made one month ago, June 1st. That's three days after the protests began. Most of those purchases were made through a company called Defense Technology. The purchase orders reflect the Bureau spent over $20,000 on chemical agents like tear gas. One of the issues in the legislative session was an attempted ban and then potentially reduction in tear gas. And, of course, we're following the lawsuits about tear gas as well. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty is pushing for a new police oversight board to go to the November ballot. Her office has been calling a bunch of community groups and leaders seeking input on a potential measure. If it's passed by voters, as it's currently envisioned, the measure would create a new police oversight system. It would be enshrined in the city charter. It would be independent from any elected office or city bureau. It would create a committee tasked with building out the city charter's requirements. The police bureau's day-to-day operations would still be overseen by a member of the Portland City Council. Usually the mayor calls their own play and holds control of the police bureau for themselves. But now some incidents, currently investigated by internal affairs, would instead fall under the jurisdiction of a new oversight body. The body would investigate instances of police misconduct that involve excessive use of force, deaths in police custody, potential civil liberty violations, and instances in which police are accused of being biased against a protected class. And word has it the decision will be made this week on whether to push forward on such a ballot measure this fall. And some good news. The Black Resilience Fund has raised over a million dollars. The fund is an emergency fund that provides immediate resources to black Portlanders. Since being established, it received thousands of requests. They've used more than $200,000 already to fund those in need, helping with things like rent, medical costs, and food. Co-founder Cameron Witten said of the milestone, when I started this fund, I didn't start it with any inkling we'd raise a million dollars or that we'd build a team of over 300 volunteers, provide real mutual aid for people. What started as a social media post has grown into a major fundraiser that will help thousands of Portlanders in need. 
If you want to support or learn more about the fund, you can go to blackresiliencefund.com. Shout out both to Cameron and to Salome Chimuku. And shout out to the benevolent community who helped. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Our in-depth look today is from Barb Seaman from X-Ray and Partner Station KXRW. Barb and NAACP Vancouver Vice President Jasmine Tolbert discuss how we can make real systemic change happen together. In the weeks since George Floyd was murdered by police in Minneapolis, police brutality and systemic racism have moved to the forefront of our national conversation. People may be starting to ask what else they can do besides attend rallies and join in on protests. I'm Barb Seaman with KXRW Radio Vancouver. I spoke with NAACP Vancouver Vice President Jasmine Tolbert recently. She shared some advice for those of us who have been complacent in the past, but are now beginning to have those difficult but necessary discussions about how to affect change. If, if change was easy, if talking about race and race relations and death was easy, that would be really weird. None of that should be easy. So I would encourage those folks to use this moment and this opportunity to find a way to get connected consistently so they can be a part of that greater change that takes a lot of hands at the table. Tolbert recommends using the power of your vote in the upcoming presidential election as one of the most effective and obvious ways to take action. Also important, make sure to be counted. You also have census work that is being done. That's been really a push for the last year. And then obviously, once it really kicked off this year, um, having that occur has been a huge thing, making sure that communities that don't typically um, respond in census are making sure that we understand why it's important that they're involved, that they understand why it's important to be counted and what being counted means for their community. Um, Typically, communities of color don't always participate in census, so therefore they're not they're left uncounted, which means that people that are involved with organizations that serve them may not get the funding that's necessary. So this way we can keep their community going. You also need to be in it for the long haul. For those of us in Vancouver and Clark County, here are some more specific suggestions. There's a city council meeting in Vancouver every Monday going and participating and listening to what's happening and what's coming down the pipeline and bringing um, that information back to different community leaders, but also just making your neighbors aware so that we can um, respond to things that need to be responded to. Um, But then joining in on organizations. So like VNAACP, um, we're a completely volunteer-led organization. Um, occasionally we'll get a grant that will maybe fund like a barely part-time person to kind of assist with our membership and getting that up and going. But for the most part, we're volunteer-led, meaning that we have things um, 
that are day-to-day that needed. So whether that's being involved with our finance committee or something of that sort. So you don't have to just be an expert in all things racial justice. You can just be an expert in all things accounting. Our communications committee constantly needing assistance, needing assistance with social media. Those are some items. Also just serving on other committees, such as the education committee, um, which can be taken in a couple different ways. Um, One way that we're trying to make an impact is really making sure that we're involved with schools and advocating for kiddos that are typically uh, silenced. That's one area. We have our legal redress committee. There's so many different things just within our organization. And then that same thing is being done in other organizations like um, LULAC, which is our sister organization, which serves the Latinx community. They need those same things. They have an amazing youth program as well um, that needs... uh, that wants more youth at the table um, to make sure that we're engaging them. There are so many things, even with YWCA that we partnered with, um, they're always looking for volunteers for different events and different items. Um, A major item would be um, we have our CASA advocates. And so being involved in that way, there's so many ways to be involved and it can be from you only have maybe an hour or so a month or an hour every couple months all the way down to, hey, I can sit in for a meeting each week. Um, There's many different levels for each person. Reaching out, getting involved, and using your voice all year long is what it's going to take to empower yourself and begin to make change. To learn more, you can go to the NAACP website at naacpvancouverwa.org. For X-Ray FM and KXRW, I'm Barb Seaman. We're joined now by Deborah Porta, Executive Director of Pride Northwest, and Manu Malu Alayilima, Board President of Pride Northwest. Deborah, Manu Malu, good morning. Hi, how are you? Good. Hello, Falava. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Manu Malu, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Glad, happy Pride. Happy Pride. I'm glad that you're here. And Deborah, how are you this morning? Good, good. It's a beautiful day. It is, absolutely. And there has been a lot going on in June. I know that your June was not typical for what happens with Pride Northwest. We're going to get into that. Deborah, tell us first, what is Pride Northwest? Pride Northwest is a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Portland. We serve all of Oregon and Southwest Washington. Um, Originally founded specifically to put on the Portland Pride Festival and Parade each year. Uh, Our mission includes celebrating our community, bringing visibility to the issues and accomplishments of our community, and then educating everyone about those things. Excellent. And Manu Malu, as Pride Month draws to a close, what are your reflections on its significance this year in 2020? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. Um, having to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic mm. as well as um, seeing uh, the police brutality taken upon our uh, Black community members and in particular uh, our Black trans community members has shed a light on the reality that our vulnerable and marginalized are experiencing within our community and um, I'm very proud of Pride Northwest and how we um, 
really listen to our queer, transgender, and non-binary uh, black leaders and community members locally uh, to find out what is it that they needed for us in terms of using our platform and signal boosting uh, the issues that they are facing. Mm -hmm. And um, Deborah and our staff did a phenomenal job in really bringing visibility and holding space uh, for our community members that have been affected. Mm. I want to dig into to, to how you all have been doing this work over the last several months. Deborah, Manumala just talked about listening, and I've heard that from a lot of elected officials um, over the last couple of months. They're listening hard. Deborah, what does listening look like at Pride Northwest? How have you uh, gathered people and created a space where folks can contribute how they're thinking and feeling in these times? Um, well, in all honesty, part of what we've done is over the years in general, we have proactively built relationships with, uh, with various parts of our community so that we're not um, cut off, basically. I've seen that happen with too many other pride organizations where you become, you sort of existing in a bubble. And we've worked really hard and still have work to do to ensure that we have relationships with, with various parts of our community so that we're hearing and being reached out to and able to reach out to, um, to hear what's happening, to hear what the needs are, and to to really understand the role that Pride Northwest uh, can and should be able to be playing in the community. Mm-hmm. And Manu Malu, when you are listening and when you're gathering com- in community to hear from folks, to plan your next steps, how how are you all diversifying those ways that people can communicate, or or are you? Is it mostly you're gathering on Zoom calls or? Um, is it mostly verbal, or are there other ways that folks are expressing how they're thinking and feeling right now? Sure. So uh, first and foremost, just having the ability to keep in mind the health and safety of our community members. Mm. Um, so that has always been our priority. Uh, secondly, engaging in conversations and holding space. So for an example, with our pride programming um we launched it off with uh, a telenor, uh, which is a storytelling session mm. with uh, national and local queer, non-binary, and trans black leaders so that they could have a forum to discuss uh, what has happened. And so that was right after um, George Floyd um, <clears throat> as well as uh, Tony McDade, uh, which is a, a trans black man who died in, in Tallahassee, Florida, that got very limited and very limited uh, news coverage. Um, so just to be able to uh, reconcile that um, there is a segment even within uh, the black community that tends to not get highlighted, um, which have been our trans women and trans men um, who have been uh, killed by 
police at the hands of law enforcement. Uh, so having available a platform to hold space where these discussions can be uh, a, a virtual experience for um, our community members, which was very important to have. Mm -hmm. And also engaging with our local organizations like um, the Portland African American Leadership Forum, Don't mm -hmm. Shoot Portland, um, Black and Beyond, the Binary Collective, um, other community members that are very active uh, with the Basic Rights Oregon, and listening to them and following their lead as other prides um, around the country um, have, you know, offered to have a, a black a Black Lives Matter march in lieu of a parade um, without consulting, you know, with their local Black Lives Matter uh, chapter mm -hmm. is problemsome, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, in as much as you want to help, you really need to ask those most impacted, how should we help? And that's what we've done. Mm. That's great. So June is usually uh, full of in-person events, bringing people together in celebration and solidarity in planning and visioning what the future looks like and what the activism looks like moving forward. Of course, the, the Waterfront Festival and Parade were canceled. Deborah, what was the process like to make that decision? Um, that process included lots of monitoring of what was happening. We have we have relationships, long-standing relationships with the city, with the county, um, with other event planners. And so, you know, the conversation about what was happening started weeks before having to make a decision. And basically what happened is we are having these conversations. Everyone's getting a little bit of different information, and we're watching others start making these decisions. And then especially talking with the county and the city about what was coming down the pike, so to speak. Um, that was really the clincher for us in terms of recognizing that we needed to make a decision. We needed to ensure that we were going to be keeping our community safe. You know, we have lots of LGBTQ plus folks that are overly represented in um, vulnerable communities, in the disability community, chronic illness, et cetera. And, um, and we knew that for a multitude of reasons, it wasn't a decision we were going to be able to wait till the last minute to make. And mm -hmm. um, so all of those things kind of came together for the timing of, of just making the decision and recognizing that we needed to, to make a move. Deborah, what does the work of Pride Northwest look like in the coming weeks and months? Um, well, that's a good question. <laughs> we are... Um, you know, one of the one of the it's not a drawback necessarily, but one of the realities of such a significant in-person event that um, as Pride is typically in Portland is that people tend to think of it as one weekend out of the year, mm -hmm. and then it's done. And uh, ironically, what we are experiencing now is the opportunity to really to really be visible and active year-round. We're already active year-round, but now we have the ability in this virtual space and in this time when 
people have have slowed down a bit to be able to pay attention. Like the, the status quo has been disrupted in so many different ways, and and we have the ability to you know focus on having these conversations around the intersections of our community, the status of of the people in our community, how we're being impacted by the uh, not just COVID but reckoning with our past pride you know one of the things that has become most important in for me is the ability to talk about not just to talk about the origins of stonewall etc because everyone talks about stonewall but really to be able to look at and to reckon with the pride movement itself and how decisions made early on very deliberate decisions have led to a time now when so many in our community are not able to live in that inter- intersectional space. They've had to choose, mm. uh, particularly our uh, black, queer, and trans members who who don't have a home in either community of their intersecting identities. And pride has played a role in that, the movement of pride. And so over the next weeks and months, we will be working on uh, continuing to have the conversations that we're having, being able to expand those conversations, being able to bring, to convene community conversations, as well as, as I mentioned earlier, continue to put on activities and events that allow our community to be visible, to be connected. Mm -hmm. I think the other danger aside from visibility is pride has a real role and a real history in being the a thing that brings our community together that allows us to see that we have a home that we have family that we have this community we belong to so there's a there's a danger in in people not being able to find that and see that isolation becomes an issue so it's this combination of I feel a little bit like I'm rambling but because there's so many things happening all at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are really the, the focuses in the next, in the coming months. Yeah. Manu Malo, what, in what ways can our listeners best support your work? You can donate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can absolutely donate. Um, Deborah mentioned, you know, we do have uh, a programming that exists uh, throughout the year outside of our Pride Weekend, which was a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, such as the George Nicola uh, Fellowship Fund, and we do have a queer and trans youth uh, celebration at the end of the year. Um, and we are reimagining like other ways that we can program to really have an impact on what's going on in the lives of our community members now mm-hmm. um, to have a direct impact. So please send um, us email or go to our, uh, our webpage, uh, www.prideNW.org and send us uh, some feedback. On, on some ideas and we would love to connect with our community in that regard. Yeah, uh, you know, what we've learned uh, during this time of COVID and uh, a lot of, you know, 
tumultuous events happening is that, you know, that's we've been pivoting so much and we've been absorbing a lot and learning a lot and listening a lot that uh, it's really informed our decision making for the kind of programming that we're able to do. Uh, and I am very proud of of Deborah and our staff. Um, shout out to Carrie Ann as well as Megan for really um, stepping it up and and just having a brilliant attitude towards you know how do we be uh, responsive and culturally responsive to our community. That's wonderful. Always good to end with gratitude, and I have I have big gratitude to you too for joining us this morning for helping us think through and reflect upon what pride is and what can be so deborah and manu and manu malu thank you so much for joining us this morning thank you thank you thanks to barb jasma deborah and manu malu for joining the local and thank you for listening to the local your hometown in about 30 minutes and thank you democracy talk to you tomorrow x-ray